I was being watched. At least, that's what it felt like. Which was ridiculous because I lived alone in a townhouse with my blinds closed and deadbolts on all my doors. Still, that didn't stop that cold, slow tingle from oozing across the back of my neck. The one you get when you're subconsciously certain that something's got its eye on you. I tried to ignore it and stayed focused on my design project, the deadline of which was looming, but it was persistent, like an itch under my skin, and no amount of redrawing lines or fixing color palettes would make it go away. Finally, with a frustrated sigh, I set down my tablet pen and spun in my chair. A scream, high-pitched and surprised, immediately escaped me. A small spider had been sitting in the middle of my office floor, just behind my chair. By the time I'd gotten up with a rolled magazine in hand, it had scurried out of sight to linger and lurk and continue watching me safely out of squishing range. I shuddered and sat back down slowly, the magazine still clutched in my hand. God, I hated spiders. I turned back around and resumed working, but it wasn't long before the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up again, and my concentration wavered toward that thought of an eight-legged creature skittering towards me with its venomous fangs raised and ready to bite. It gave me enough of the heebie-jeebies that I abandoned my desktop, packed up my smaller tablet and laptop, and left for the library. I'll bring you back a nice can of Raid, I muttered over my shoulder as I shut the front door. Right before it closed completely, I thought I caught sight of something moving very slowly and subtly across the entryway. I couldn't believe I was letting a little bug mess with my head so much. It was becoming of an almost 30-year-old man. I did pick up a can of insect spray on my way home after a few hours of working at the library, but I just dumped it on the little table beside the door and forgot about it in favor of making dinner. I figured I know where it was next time I met my eight-legged nemesis. Over the next few days, the feeling that I was being watched persisted, growing into a tangled, almost paranoid knot in my chest. Work's getting to me, I told myself. I'm just too stressed. I was also extremely isolated, having recently moved out and not really gone out of my way to meet new people. I thought the combination of non-stop work and loneliness was overriding common sense. It didn't help that every time I turned around, I'd see that little spider scuttling off into some crack or crevice the moment I laid eyes on it. I started calling it Stinker. Giving it a name made it seem a little less creepy, and since it had yet to act out my worst nightmare of injecting me with a paralytic venom and slowly sucking out my insides... I was starting to think maybe it didn't really want to eat me after all. First chance I got, though, I still planned on stomping it flat. It was 3 a.m. The day before my big project was due, when I was putting some finishing touches on my design before I called it a night. The slithering certainty that I wasn't alone had returned stronger than it had been before, and I gripped my tablet pen in a white-knuckled hand. Knock it off, stinker! I grumbled, hoping the sound of my voice would help ease my nerves. Behind me, from the darkness of the hallway outside my office, I heard something growl, very softly. I stiffened 
and my breath hitched painfully in my throat, and with agonizing slowness, I turned my head to look over my shoulder. Stinker was in the middle of my floor, the same place it had been the first time I'd seen it, but this time, its back was to me. It was facing the doorway, front two legs raised slightly while it swayed back and forth, almost as if it were threatening something. I followed its multi-eyed gaze to the doorway. It was empty. When I looked back down at Stinker, the spider had disappeared, probably back to its preferred hidey hole between the wall and the filing cabinet. I spent that night sitting upright in my computer chair, the office door shut and locked, and my bloodshot eyes trained on it. I didn't get any sleep until well after the sun was up, and even then, it was only because I nodded off against my will. I woke up when I slid out of my chair and hit the floor with a resounding thud. I sat there for a long time, conflicted and confused, but mostly afraid. I could almost have believed that I just dreamt the whole growl up, that it had just been my overtired mind playing tricks on me, or that the townhouse had just been settling, but Stinker's strange reaction kept playing over in my mind. Something had been out in the hallway. I was sure of it. Calling the cops didn't seem wise. I didn't think they'd take nicely to a fully grown man trying to get them to investigate strange nighttime noises. I didn't have any friends to talk it over with, and I didn't want to call my parents to make them worry that I was going crazy. I was really only left with one option. I turned to the internet. There are a lot of rabbit holes that one can go down online, and I found myself wandering through everything from conspiracy theories to new age mumbo jumbo while searching for things like spider mythos, animals that hate spiders, and can a spider tell if my house is haunted? Spiders are government spies. Eight ways using spider webs can improve your life. Your house is talking to you. Are you listening? It seemed like a hopeless endeavor until I started stumbling across posts on various forums from a user named Sprout's Mom. She rambled a lot, heartbreaking stuff about her daughter who had been missing for a few years, but in between the walls of texts about loss and how she'd wish she'd listen, she talked a lot about spiders. Her daughter had been obsessed with their garden spiders, especially a big one that she said was the queen. The queen apparently kept her safe. It wasn't until after the little girl's well-meaning grandpa killed the queen spider that tragedy struck. I googled the poster's name, which she seemed to use for everything, and spent all afternoon following it from site to site, forum to forum, reading about her experience with something she called the Not Nice, all the way to some obscure cryptid seeker site. There, instead of being told she was making things up for attention or... Viewed as a mother driven mad by grief, people were responding with suggestions. I've heard of these things, not as not nice, though. The guy I talked to called them creepers, said they were the things you see out of the corner of your eye when you're alone. According to him, they live in the shadows, where we can sense them but not really see them until we're truly scared. They only attack people when the person is by themselves and only when you look at them. Sorry about your kid. I guess she looked. Creepers? Only know them as lurkers. 
Sounds like the same thing, though, because of the spiders. They hate spiders. Don't know why. They don't like the webs. They get tangled up in them, and the spiders eat them. If you're good at the spiders, they'll be good to you. I read through pages of their responses. Not nice, creepers, lurkers, whatever they're called. Everyone agreed on three things. They hunted people who spent a lot of time alone. Looking directly at them was a death sentence, and the only thing they seemed to be afraid of were spiders. Despite the fact that no one had actually gotten a good look at these not nice, a couple of people included drawings with captions like, I only saw this for a split second, but I didn't want to look for too long. My tarantula was with me too. Or, this guy was in the background of a photo. Pretty sure it's what you're talking about. The pictures varied in quality and style, but a few things remained the same throughout. The creature was always thin and black and had a long, gaunt face and pale yellow eyes. I was sure a lot of them drew on each other for inspiration, but it was creepy nonetheless. The last post I read said, To really keep these things away, you need a queen. Like the one Sprout's mom mentioned. Other spiders will be drawn to a queen the more you have, the less you have to fear from the creepers. I shut down my browser and leaned back in my chair, dragging a hand down my face. These people were talking like they were experts on something that probably didn't even exist. I couldn't be buying into any of that crap, I thought as I dragged myself upright and out of my office. I just needed a nice hot shower and some coffee to get my head on straight. I'd barely made it up the stairs before I had the distinct, unnerving feeling that I was being watched. I started to turn to glance back down at the foyer. They only attack people when the person is by themselves, and when you look at them. I froze. Every instinct in me said complete the turn, assess the danger. But I kept picturing those drawings with their sunken faces and yellow eyes, and I couldn't do it. Even when the bottom step squeaked as if someone or something had climbed onto it, I couldn't look. Stinker! I shouted as I dove headlong into my bedroom and kicked the door shut behind me. Even if I didn't really believe the small spider would come to my call, it was nice to be reminded it was in the house at all. When I emerged some time later, it was with my head down and my hands around my eyes. I made a stumbling mad dash for the front door. Once inside my car, I looked up at the nearest pet store on my phone and sped all the way there. I hated spiders, always had, and so I never expected to find myself standing in front of a series of terrariums trying to figure out which of the half-dozen tarantulas I wanted to take home. They were all already on the larger side and creepy as the last, and I had no idea what would make one better than the other. A little girl was standing next to me, also staring at the spiders while her mom was talking to a nearby sales associate. She was humming and smiling, completely unafraid of the arachnids in front of her. Hey, I said, trying my best to sound friendly. You like spiders? She glanced up at me and nodded once shyly. If you had to pick one of these, which do you think is the queen? The little girl eyed me for a moment and then... Turned back to the tarantulas. She considered each closely, her face almost pressed against the glass of their enclosures until finally she pointed to the one in the lower left corner. It was the largest one they had. Her, she said confidently. Two hours later, after a crash course on keeping a spider by one of the sales girls, I was home and setting up my new pet's home in the corner of my office. 
I was careful not to touch her as I opened her box and let her crawl out into the terrarium. She was unhurried about it, and just having my hands so close to her made my skin crawl. I hoped this would be worth it. While she acclimated, I took a seat at my desk and tried to distract myself from the fact that there was a huge spider mere feet from me with work. I did look over at her from time to time, mostly to make sure she hadn't escaped, and at one point saw a familiar small critter crawling along the side of her tank. Spider sightings at my house, especially in my office, became a fairly regular thing. I was still a bit creeped out by them, but we seemed to have a mutual understanding. Just leave each other alone and all will be well. The only one I interacted with at all was Majesty, my tarantula, and even that was limited to cleaning her enclosure and feeding her. For the most part, she liked to watch me from a little rock cave I'd gotten her, and she wasn't the only one watching. Sometimes the hair on the back of my neck would start to rise slowly, and the cold certainty that something was behind me would set off all of my internal alarms, but I never turned. I just kept my head down, kept doing what I was doing, and I'd wait for it to pass. It never took long. I knew that it, whatever it was, a lurker, a creeper, the not nice, was biding its time, waiting for a time when the spiders wouldn't be there. But every time that watched feeling faded and I was able to look over my shoulder again, there was always at least one little stinker sitting contentedly on the floor behind me, and I was grateful for my little house of spiders. It had been racking my brain for months. What exactly did he keep in there? Why was he being so secretive? Even when I was younger, my father was more than happy to share his work with me at the dinner table. I listened intently, fascinated by the projects his biotech lab had been working on. I didn't understand most of the jargon, but that's probably why he was so willing to reveal the hidden truths of the trade. He knew I wouldn't retain it enough to be a liability. But then, there's the room. It was an extension of his bedroom, one that was built when we moved in so he could do some more of his work from home. Its secrets were locked behind a cast iron door, and no matter how many times I asked, my father would not divulge what he described as being classified research. Eventually, I stopped nagging him about it. And that brings us to the other day. My father woke me up at 6.30 a.m. sharp for my weekly blood draw. It was something he started last year as a precaution. Knowing the dangers he potentially brought home each day, he felt the need to check in and make sure we hadn't been infected with one of the many strands of harmful bacteria he worked with. Up to that point, I was in tip-top shape. No issues since the day he started. This day, however, broke the streak. My dad went to his secret room, ran his usual tests on my blood, and raced back to me, startled by an alarming discovery. My blood had been tainted by something as he described it. He assured me there was nothing to worry about. He would just need to go into work and run some more scans and get second opinions on the data. He promised he'd be back before dinner. With that, he rushed out the door, clearly rattled by his findings. When dinner time rolled around, he wasn't home. I became a bit worried and called him. He answered and said there were more tests being performed, but everything was looking good. 
He told me to cook one of the microwave meals in the freezer and not to wait up, as he would be late arriving home. I did as he instructed and got ready for bed. That's when an idea sprung to mind. I had attempted to open my father's secret door on many occasions to no avail. There were two deadbolts in place, as well as a run-of-the-mill padlock. Without the three separate keys needed to unlock it, it was a fruitless endeavor. Still, it was fun to try and imagine the wonders that would await me upon potentially opening it. It was the fuel that sparked many of my daydreams over the years. As I so often did when he wasn't home, I ventured into his bedroom and walked over to the mysterious door. Upon closer inspection, I was surprised to see the deadbolts undone. The only thing standing between me and my dad's classified research was the cheap lock hanging at the door's handle. He must have left in such a haste that he didn't feel the need for redundancy. Sure, I wouldn't be prowling about his room while at the lab. Curiosity was a far stronger feeling than he knew. Knowing this would be my only chance, I got to work. Using wire cutters and a thin metal coat hanger, I constructed a makeshift lockpick. Shaking it with the keyhole, however, was not rewarding. I only succeeded in twisting the pick into a pretzel-like form, rendering it completely useless. Disappointed, I knew what had to be done. It was time for plan B. It felt somewhat foolish as I hurried out into the darkness to our garden in the backyard. As I picked up a sizable stone and headed back in, my father's trust in me was broken, and he would soon know. My prize would have to be worth the damage because there was no way I could hide or explain away a busted lock. But the allure of whatever it was that lurked within that room had such a strong pull that I almost didn't care. The need to see its contents far outweighed the fear of impending punishment. Once inside and back at the iron door, I looked down at the rock in my hand. I now had the power to solve the mystery, and I was elated. With a couple of vicious swings, the lock gave into the force and fell to the floor below. My heart was racing as I slowly pulled the door open and peered inside, astonished. It was a truly marvelous sight. Inside my father's room was a plethora of tanks, wires, and devices, all of which looked to be lab-issued in design, certainly not anything I'd ever seen in retail setting. Within the tanks, a blue neon liquid with pockets of air bubbling to the surface, each with its own unique creature. Some were fused together, others had too many eyes or appendages. One in particular that caught my attention was a fox-like rodent with transparent fur and skin, granting me a glimpse at the inner workings of its body. A close second favorite would have to be the fiery orange bird the size of my palm with iridescent wings. All these living marvels were suspended in animation, locked in a peaceful slumber behind their glass. The oddities in the room had far exceeded my expectations. My dad was creating new life, feathering a new era not only in his field, but in Mother Nature. These animals had the potential to deeply alter the face of Earth's wilderness. Perhaps they even had the power to benefit the world's ecosystem as a whole. I was so very proud of him. As I gazed at my father's work in awe, I noticed something. In the center of the room was another tank larger than the rest, covered by a completely opaque black sheet. This must have been his pride and joy. 
a creature that stood out in a way the others couldn't. Magic he must have captured so brilliantly that he didn't even want to look at it himself for fear of being distracted, transfixed even, by its appearance. Excited, I was compelled to dislocate the sheet from the tank, but in doing so, I was mortified. Behind the glass was a human, but only a portion of one. It was a head and partial torso cut off just below the chest. New cells were being replicated at a steady pace, slowly completing its shape. With this increasingly rapid state of regeneration, it looked as though it might be in a walking state by week's end. Being human didn't trouble me so much. It was the face. My face. This project of my dad's was a clone. A living, breathing copy of my DNA. Unsettled, I couldn't help but stare. Even the minutest detail was accurate, down to the individual's hairs floating on its scalp. I was no longer enamored with my father's room. My stomach had turned to such a degree that it felt as though I had become sick. And then the strangest thing happened. My clone opened its eyes. On either side of its nose were black ellipses, like the likes of which I had never seen on a face before. After its eyelids receded, the mouth opened and I was accosted by a muffled but frightening shriek. Its complete form thrashed about wildly. I ran away as fast as I could, the sound of glass shattering behind me. I foolishly forgot to close the door, too preoccupied with my own survival. I looked back once while running and saw the horrifying sight of a dark-eyed version of me from the chest up, floating through the house to my position. I left as quickly as possible and sprinted into the trees towards my father's lab. Coming from the direction of my home, a terrifying symphony of unnatural screams filled the forest. The facility where my father worked, as well as our home, was located along a dirt road in the woods. Moonlight soaked the path, granting me ample visibility to make my way there. My trek was met with eerie soundscapes of the forest, including the occasional far-off outburst from my copy, who I knew must have been gaining on me. Having legs was an advantage. My pace never wavered, and I was able to reach the lab within the hour. Before venturing over to the entrance, I surveyed my surroundings. The unsavory sound of midnight animals filled the air around me, the cries of wolves, predatory birds, and bears. These, however, were not what I was listening for. Once certain that my copy hadn't followed me, I used the speaker box to communicate with the receptionist. Luckily, the response was immediate. How can we help you? Hi, this is Garrett's son. I really need to see my dad. There was a brief pause before I received a reply. One moment. I waited patiently but nervous. As I stood there, my eyes were met with a familiar, inhuman sound reverberating off the trees at the edge of the clearing. It was closing in. What are your full name, date of birth, and social security number? I was beginning to panic, but was able to provide the information requested. Thank you. One moment. The horrific sound was no longer distant. 
It grew louder as I watched the grotesque form of my clone floating up the path coming towards me. My breathing became sporadic, as did my heart rate. You've been approved. You may enter at the sound of the buzzer. I quickly opened the door and entered the building, slamming it shut behind me. My other self did his best to charge at the closed door, but was unable to penetrate its thick metal layers. I was finally safe. At the front desk, the receptionist offered a greeting and pointed me in the direction of the next floor where my father's office was. I thanked him and headed off upstairs. The second floor of the lab was a labyrinth, red carpets and identical white doors weaving in and out of dimly lit hallways. I tried turning the knob on the first door I saw, which belonged to room 3071. It was locked. Hello? Is there anyone in there? I'm looking for my father. A man opened the door for me and sat down at his desk. The room wasn't anything special. Some workstations with the plants and a waste bin in the corner. No sign of my father. I tried conversing with the man who let me in, but he ignored me completely. His strange demeanor and zombie-like state were unsettling. Unable to get any answers out of him, I left. The door was swiftly shut behind me. The other rooms were exactly the same. I tried dozens of them. There was always a single worker inside, all of whom ignored my presence. The closest I came to conversation was one of them trembling, muttering to themselves, this isn't worth the paycheck. After that, I stopped knocking on doors altogether and simply wandered the hallways. It seemed there was a rule against speaking to outsiders. Just as I was about to go back down to the receptionist and ask for directions, I saw a door at the end of the halls unlike the rest. It was white, but instead of a room number, there was a plaque affixed to its surface. Dr. Garrett Covenwood, Head of Operations. That was it, my dad's office. I waltzed over and knocked on the door. Dad, it's me. I made a mistake. I really, really need to talk to you. There was no response. Fortunately, the door was unlocked. I gently turned the knob and pushed it open, revealing the inner sanctum of my father's workplace, another area I had always wanted to see, one that I constructed many times in my imagination. Unlike the secret room at home, his office was entirely normal. There was more red carpet and plain white walls. A single desk was perched in the corner, complete with a computer and piles of paperwork. On the opposite side were a filing cabinet and a few chairs. That was it. It was as ordinary and mundane as it could possibly be. But I was not disappointed. My only goal was to tell my dad about the copy and hope he would know what to do. I scoured the room in hopes of finding a phone to call him with. There wasn't one. Instead, I discovered a strange red button protruding from the side of his desk. And pressing it, something unexpected happened. I watched, amazed, as the far wall of my dad's office opened and slid into the corner, governed by any unseen mechanical interface. Behind it was a long, brightly lit tunnel. Upon crossing the threshold, I noticed several tanks lined up along the walls, similar to the ones back home. Inside of them, more copies of me, suspended in bubbling liquid. I was once again mortified.
I couldn't fathom what my dad was doing or why. I racked my brain for answers, but none came. But before I could contemplate any further, I noticed something. There was an opening at the end of the tunnel. Just before it was a final tank on the right wall, numbered 2263. The glass was broken, and its contents had been emptied. I raced over the opening and found a room filled with computers and various electronic hardware. There, lying in the center of the room, was my father, his lower half in a pool of blood. I ran to his side and turned him over, tears wetting my face. He was still breathing, but barely. He managed to open his eyes and smiled upon seeing me. I thought I... I told you not to wait up for me. I smiled, but continued to cry. I'm so sorry. I broke into your room and let out that thing. I don't know what to do. He coughed. My eyes scanned his body and identified a gash at his lower abdomen. I applied pressure as best I could. It's okay. There are some things I need to tell you before I go. Please... Listen carefully. I wiped the tears away with my arm and nodded in agreement. What I heard changed my whole life. As you know, your mother died during childbirth. It was never the same after that. He coughed some more. I applied more pressure, hoping that would keep him alive. What I never told you was that you died too. The birth was premature, and the complications that arose were too much for your fragile form. You never made it out of the operating room. I bore a look of shock and confusion, almost gasping as he spoke. I couldn't save your mother, but I could save you, at least in some fashion. It was the only thing that kept me from losing my sanity after her death. It extracted the stem cells from your body and used them here to make more of you. Clones. Clones? I asked. But why? I couldn't bear the thought of being without the two of you. Saving you was my only hope. Unfortunately, there were side effects that came with the methods we used. He let out another cough. Blood dripped from his mouth. All the clones gained unforeseen abilities. This affected their temperament and caused them to lash out. Each and every model went haywire within a day. You were our most successful attempt. You mean... I'm a clone? I could barely get the words out. Yes, but your vitals are the same as your predecessors. In addition to their vicious behavior, all the previous versions of you become comatose within three months' time. That's when we place them back in their tanks, where they remain in an eternal slumber. With the test I ran today on the prototype at home, I thought I had solved it, and I tried the antidote on one of the clones here at the lab. It backfired. Blood seeped out from behind my hands. No pressure could stop it. I was able to wake it up, but it grew wilder than the rest. It had abilities the others didn't and used them to attack. How long have I been alive? How much time do I have left? He coughed some more. I wasn't sure he'd even be able to respond. 
You have one more week. You all have neural implants. That's how I was able to give you your memories. I was saddened by the news, but it was strangely relieving to know the truth. My father looked up at me one last time. The blood was now pouring from his wound. I hope you can forgive me. I love you so much. His eyes went blank and his head fell in my arms. He was gone. I sat there for a long time and cried over my father's lifeless body. Even if I was only three months old and equipped with fabricated memories, he was the only family I ever knew. Even if it wasn't a real relationship, I loved him. As I wept, footsteps echoed in the distance. I turned to see the full-bodied clone that had broken free from the tunnel standing at the edge of the room. His eyes were dark and his mouth opened at an unnatural angle. He let out a shriek that pierced my very soul and struck fear into my racing heart. I had to escape. But how? I stood to meet its horrific gaze. Terrified and without any options, I tried conversing with it. Hello? Can you see me with those eyes of yours? I'm just like you. We're family, in a sense. It tilted its head in curiosity. I cautiously walked towards it. It's okay. I'm not here to hurt you. I was created just as you were. We are the same, you and me. My heart was pounding as I closed the gap in between us. See? There isn't anything to be frightened of. I'm your friend. Now, inches apart, I put my haphazard plan in motion. Without giving it a second thought, I pushed my clone aside with a great deal of force and rushed out of the tunnel into my father's office. It screamed a sickening cry and ran to me. Eventually, I no longer heard its feet touching the floor. I turned to see it levitating in my direction, just like the unfinished prototype before it. I ran out of my dad's office and navigated the maze of halls with sheer luck, successfully making it down the stairs into the first floor. I called out for the receptionist to help me, but he was not at his post. It seemed I was on my own. In a flash, I yanked open the front door and stumbled out into the cool night air. There, on the path, waiting for me was the prototype, still floating above the earth. I dashed to my right and took off into the trees, desperately hoping the shrubbery would hide me to some extent. It was no use. I looked back to see both clones honed in on my position, both flying into the forest. There was no way I could outrun them. Thinking quickly, I developed a theory. Their eyes were void of color. I thought the exchange I had with the clone in my dad's office. It was a long shot, but I carefully took cover behind a tree, walking as softly as I could manage. The clones followed suit, but dispersed at my last position, seemingly unaware of my whereabouts, they split up in an effort to find me. My theory was proven correct. They were blind, only able to react to sound. That's how they were able to navigate the forest in the dark. If I was quiet, I thought I might be able to leave unnoticed. Putting as little weight as possible into each of my steps, I made my way to another tree, and then another. 
I repeated this process until I accidentally stepped onto a fallen branch, creating a loud crack that rang through the woods. My cover was blown. Within a matter of seconds, the two clones caught up to me and readied themselves for an attack. I was out of breath and energy, unable to run anymore. There would be no escaping them now. This was it, my final moments. Knowing I only had a week left anyway, I wasn't all that bothered. The only thing that kept me scared was the thought of what these foul creatures would unleash upon me. They had abilities unknown to the natural world. Seeing the agony my father went through when he passed, it was safe to assume I was in for a great deal of anguish at the hands of my other selves. I closed my eyes for the impending torment. That's when a fleeting thought bubbled to the surface. If I was a clone just like them, did I have powers too? I opened my eyes and just barely had time to dodge a red stream of liquid that shot from the prototype's mouth. It met the tree at my side and incinerated its bark clean off. The other clone extended its arm and turned its hand in a circular motion. The space around us seemed to bend, making my vision blur. I was inflicted by hallucinations, the likes of which I never want to experience again. Bound by this power, the visions at the time felt all too real. I was staying in a white room in a hospital. From what I could tell, the doctors were scrambling to deliver a baby. I managed to catch a glimpse of the woman between the outline of their forms. It was my mother. I'd only ever seen her in pictures, but I was certain that it was her. This was the day I was born, or at least when the actual me was born. Her pained cries ricocheted off the walls and burrowed into my ears. After a moment or two, the sound abruptly stopped and the doctors dispersed, forming a path to the table. I hesitantly stepped over to it and was greeted by a terrible sight. My mother was still, her eyes glazed over. Something was moving within her abdomen. It began clawing its way out, blood and organs spilling over onto the floor. A face appeared above the mess. It was one of the clones, its dark eyes cutting through my stare and shaking me to my core. It expelled black smoke from its mouth that swirled around the room and filled my field of view. It then dissipated, transitioning to another scene. I was now outside my home, peering in through the window. My father and I were having dinner inside, laughing together like we had on many nights before. A tear trickled down my cheek as I watched. Then, without warning, the version of me... In the house, turned to meet my gaze, its eyes consumed by a familiar darkness. It was the clone, still toying with me. A wicked smile danced across its face as it stood up from the table and stepped over to my father, who was still laughing as if nothing happened. All the while, it never turned away, our eyes still locked in a sickening stare. I cried out futilely. The clone placed its hand on my father's head. I struck the glass to warn him, but it was no use. His smile grew wider, and I shut my eyes, not wishing to see what would come next. There was a loud crack, followed by the thud of a body meeting the floor. I reluctantly opened my eyes to see the clone right there at the window. I fell back in fear and hit my head on the unforgiving ground. 
The illusion was then broken. I found myself back in the forest, pinned to the ground by an unseen force. I had to act fast. I tried to tap into whatever reservoirs of energy I possessed. The clones readied themselves. I saw the prototype open its mouth again. I'd be a goner if not for what happened next. Almost out of my control, I broke free of my restraints, releasing a wave of energy that propelled the copies deeper into the woods. I stood in an upright position and nervously awaited their return, still unsure of how to use my newfound abilities. Their screams bounced across the tree line. They appeared before me, their faces contorted in pure anger, with them an armada of wildlife, deadly creatures that didn't exist in any textbook. A bear the size of a house with grass-like fur, wolves with six legs and three eyes, human-sized bipedal rabbits, and a slew of others I had no time to examine. They must have been failed experiments from the lab. They charged at me with bloodlust in their eyes, using what seemed like a collective of telekinetic energy I was hurled upward into the air. They gathered below and waited me to fall into them. I helplessly flailed about while descending on what I thought would be my inevitable death. On my descent, something woke within me. All at once, I stopped falling and hung there in the midnight sky, facing the group below. Then, almost instinctively, I unfolded my arms and legs out in front of me. Something I can only describe as a loud, metallic creak was expelled from my mouth while a glow left my skin and washed over the forest. I came to on the forest floor. The many lab experiments that once haunted me, including my clones, were scattered around inanimate on the ground. There were colorful sparks dancing across their head. Their neural implants must have short-circuited in the blast. They wouldn't be chasing me anytime soon. As I strolled through the forest towards my home, I thought of my father. No matter how wrong he was in what he did or how artificial my memories were, I still held him close to my heart. I'd have to spend my last week of life mourning his death and finding a way to come to terms with everything. I don't know if I'm fit for an afterlife, so I can't be sure I'll ever see you again. Just know that I do forgive you and I miss you terribly. You will always be my father. <laughs>